Welcome to Love Unpacked, a podcast based on the book Love Unpacked. I'm your host, Andy Franklin. Join me on a journey to unpack our stories, confront our past, and find our way to unconditional love. It's another wonderful day in the podcast universe. (laughs) Happy Wednesday. Do you get tired of hearing me say happy whatever day it is? It's a little weird, right? Why do we intro that way? I think it's just because what else do you say to a microphone in your office by yourself? (laughs) I am really looking forward to just moving into these next chapters, this next phase of my life, if you will. Everything moving forward is about my time with Derek and hand to heart from 21 on. It's just been my favorite era of my life. I, it, we've been through so much together. We went through so much together so early, so much that's just not even touched in this book because it's not relevant to the topic. But we, as two young 21-year-old kids, we made life work and we figured it out. And we, I just love us. I love little us. I love adult us. I'm so grateful for everything we've been through together and everything we've learned about each other and with each other. And so, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to moving into these next chapters and sharing some of our best and worst moments with you. So here we go. So here we go. (laughs) I don't know. It felt right. Today, we are covering chapter eight, which is all about comparison. Chapter eight, comparison, stepping out of the shadow. Comparison is the death of joy. Mark Twain. I'm one resourceful motherfucker. It'll probably be etched on my grave. Here lies Andy Franklin. Wife, mother, resourceful motherfucker. My survival instincts aren't the ones that will win me any awards. I can't make a fire from dryer fuzz, disarm a hostile person, or run for more than 10 minutes without getting side pains and convincing myself that I'm probably going to have a heart attack and die. I've got no idea what plants will heal me and which ones will seep into my skin and eat me from the inside. Seriously, don't let me around your plants because I'll probably kill us all. The only time I ever had success with anything botanical was the witch potions I concocted with my cousin when we were younger to make the neighborhood boys fall in love with us because we were bored and that's what kids did before cell phones. You'll never find me on a survival challenge show because I'm addicted to lip balm and unable to cope with mass amount of ants being within 500 feet of me. But I'm really resourceful. I find solutions to problems, look outside the box, and work with what I've got. It's the reason my husband won't volunteer me as a tribute during the zombie apocalypse. Second only to the fact that we may be responsible for repopulating the earth, but I digress. What I lack in skill, I make up for in resourcefulness, which was a vital talent to possess when I first met Derek. I'd only ever slept with two other guys before I met him, and both of those were within the same calendar year. So I was still learning what it meant to arch your back, while my steamy new boyfriend had been arching backs for years. 
I was a novice at best, straight up terrified amateur at worst. But Derek, he'd been around the block. He was hot and experienced and oh my God, he's going to realize I'm just a loser drama kid and dump me. So I turned on my resourceful motherfucker hat and learned how to fake it till I made it so far into his heart that it was too late for him to turn back because of my lack of sexual experience, knowledge, or even basic skill set. Operation Trick Him Into Thinking I'm a Goddess was implemented by food. I may not have known what reverse cowgirl meant, but they say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. In essence, I figured if I could satisfy his literal appetite, then it would compensate for any way I may have been lacking in the sexual appetite department. I started easily with a spaghetti recipe that I practiced at home first before bringing my bag full of ingredients to his apartment to impress my new boyfriend and his roommate with a homemade marinara sauce Ina Garten would be proud of. Only, I made the mistake of assuming two college dudes had basic spices and materials such as sugar, and thus my marinara never reached its full potential like it had when I rehearsed it at home. Cooking quickly became a part of my love language for my new boo, and without realizing it, I began relying on food to do a lot of the heavy lifting for me in the relationship to compensate for everything I felt inadequate about in my own self. One morning, I got it in my head that he was mad at me for whatever reason, so I made the hour drive to downtown LA to get bagels from his favorite spot, and it ended up being closed indefinitely. So instead, I googled the next best place around, hand-selected a dozen, and drove all the way to his beach apartment to drop them off on his porch. I wrote on the box, Sorry for being a bitch. When I went to leave them, the door was open and he was home playing video games with a friend. So I did what any sane person would do. I crept around like the Grinch who stole Christmas sliding the box on his porch mat before running to my getaway car like a teenager who just toilet papered a house. When I was safe inside my car, I sent him a text letting him know there was something at the door for him before sheepishly driving away. One, he genuinely had no idea why I called myself a bitch and didn't have a clue as to why I thought he was mad at me. And two, was super confused as to why I ran off like he was the boogeyman or something. Here's what he didn't understand then, and what I could never tell him. I'd learned from my past relationships what guys wanted and who they wanted, which was a woman who was chill and fun to hang around. Skip the drama, and don't be clingy. Heaven forbid you enjoy me that much that you actually want to be around me. Be interested in me just the right amount and at the right time. Preferably when I'm horny and not with my friends or playing video games. And me being the resourceful motherfucker I am, found a way to master that role. Every once in a while I'd slip and show my insecure side, and that's when I'd bust out gestures like the Great Bagel Bitch Excursion of 2009. I've got to say, Derek must have really loved me, even then. Because in my attempts to seem like a normal, chill young woman... I probably came off as a total basket case. And yet, time and time again, he'd hug me, love me, and show me that he wasn't going anywhere, even though everything I'd learned from previous relationships cautioned me he'd most likely drop my ass to the curb. 
I worked overtime to keep my flaming feelings for Derek at bay because neither he nor I anticipated being in a serious relationship at that point in our lives. And I was terrified if I let him all the way in, he would hop on his noble steed and get the hell out of town. In another act of resourceful motherfuckerness, I treated myself like some homemaker call girl hybrid, often coming to his apartment to cook or have sex and then driving home before bedtime. One night, as I zipped up my knee-high black boots and pulled rogue locks from my head, reframing my face, Derek sat up in his bed and waited for my eyes to meet his. Why do you always get up and leave? The question took me off guard. You've never asked me to stay before. You're my girlfriend, and you live an hour away. You think I expect you to drive home? I just assumed you knew you were invited. It never crossed my mind that you wouldn't stay until you kept leaving. I hadn't considered that me showing up and leaving like some sex-seeking thief in the night might actually make Derek feel uncomfortable, or as if I wasn't as committed to the relationship as he was. That night, I could see in his eyes that he was genuine in his efforts to pull me in deeper to him. So I stopped making myself a booty call and instead took on the role of a partner. After that night, he couldn't get rid of me even if he tried. We were obnoxious. We talked all day and spent almost every evening together. Definitely all weekends were reserved for each other. It was blissful and fairytale-like, and I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And when the shoe never fell, I'd periodically grab it and chuck it across the room for good measure. Because heaven help the wicked, nothing gold can stay, all good things must come to an end. But Derek, he was like a revolving door. Every time I pushed, he'd come right back around faithfully. Still, I found myself standing on my tippy toes all the damn time. I never put two together, but the truth was I'd become a master of manipulation, both toward myself and my partner. I was forever downplaying my insecurities by making myself overly accommodating. I would anticipate a problem and solve its imaginary self before anything had ever formed. Bagels, you guys. I felt so unworthy of Derek's love that I spent every waking minute trying to prove myself to him. He didn't actually need proof that I was the woman he wanted, but I sure as shit did. I felt possessed to show him I could be what he deserved, and in the process, I put myself through hell to do it and gave an inner angry mob speech if I failed. She's a loser! A loser! And she'll never be worthy! Unworthy! We can't sit by and let her pretend she'll ever be happy! Cue the crowd in my subconscious making various sounds of agreement. In the early days, Derek and I were both terrified of falling into one another. He was fresh off a Euro trip where he prowled his way around 12 countries, healing his heart after the end of a four-year-long relationship. And I'd recently been cheated on by the guy who swiped my virginity. Basically, we were both two 21-year-old shit piles that had no interest in love or relationships and just wanted to celebrate our single lives and have some fun. But fate had other plans for us. I still remember our first date like it was yesterday. 
I actually had plans to meet up with another guy after dinner with Derek on that breezy November night. Derek will tell you that I was a half hour late to the restaurant that evening, because I'm sure that's how it felt when he thought he was being stood up by this girl he found on the internet. Still, I maintain that I walked into the restaurant closer to 10 after 5, and it was love at first sight. I know how outrageously cliche that sounds, but I knew right then and there as he led me to the outdoor table he had already selected, I'd follow him anywhere, and it scared the living daylights out of me. I couldn't eat my dinner because my stomach was rolling nervous knots, but I did drink two beers because I needed all the liquid courage I could muster. I felt like Gidget when she realized she was in love with Moondoggy, And if you don't understand that reference, do yourself a favor and go stream it now. Gidget is one of my all-time favorite films. A regular tomboy, dressed for the prom boy. Talk about an American classic. My mom introduced it to me when I was younger, and we'd watch it on repeat. There's a scene where Gidget asks her mom how you know you're in love, and she describes, It feels like getting hit over the head with a sledgehammer. And when I walked toward Derek, Cupid came swinging at me full force. Whack! When he invited me to go grab another drink somewhere else, I said, I'll follow you anywhere. I mean, I didn't because that would have made me seem like a psycho. But I thought it as I concocted a cool, calm, sure, why not? We ended up at a college bar near the ocean with handcrafted beers and shuffleboard tables lining the back wall. The chemistry between us was kicking up more dust than the discs we were sliding back and forth through the sandy game table. And after a while, Derek mentioned he planned to meet some friends at another spot and asked if I wanted to join him. You already know my answer. I'll follow you anywhere. But I was cool. Sounds fun. Code for marry me now. I excused myself to the restroom, where I proceeded to cancel my second date and text Alwyn, who was supposed to meet up with me and the second dude, that the plan had changed and she needed to get her ass over there to meet my future husband. That night, we met each other's best friends. I took free tequila shots with a stranger, bought a picture for the group, and we cuddled up as if we'd known each other for years. The date lasted 12 hours. We both knew right then and there what we'd accidentally stumbled upon, but the timing felt so wrong. We weren't prepared to settle down again, neither of us. Yet, we also weren't ready to lose one another. So, at the risk of falling, we jumped in, hearts first. We teetered and we fumbled, and the only fact we held back from another was our undying love, because neither of us wanted to seem like a lunatic and declare such bold feelings so early on in the relationship. Like most new couples, We spent time talking about what life looked like before the other came into it, spending hours chatting about our pasts and our recent heartaches. I told him about my long line of unreliable and hurtful men, and he recalled his long-term relationship and where it went wrong. I was intimidated by the length of time he'd spent with his ex-girlfriend Emily, because it more than doubled my longest relationship, and I'd never personally experienced extended commitment like that. I learned a lot about her partially because he felt comfortable being open and frank with me, and partly because I asked an absorbent amount of questions. But the more I learned about her, the more I let my insecurity take the wheel. 
Emily's family was wealthy and well-known in the city, which meant when Derek was with her, he got a lot of perks like meeting celebrities and attending VIP events. All my family had to offer was crippling debt and a frozen yogurt punch card. Everybody knew her before they knew me, so I felt like cubic zirconia trying to replace a diamond. I saw his ex as this giant shadow looming over me and had built up a version of her in my mind that painted her as the one who got away, branding myself as a solid runner-up or consolation prize. The imaginary version of Emily I formulated was perfect. She smelled great, always looked put together, and wore sexy, lacy lingerie around the house while she cleaned. She exuded confidence. She was smart, funny, tall, and tan. I pictured her opening up her own puppy orphanage and drinking nothing but kale smoothies for glowing skin. Imaginary Emily never complained or felt lost, and instead she paraded through life with a sultry smile tattooed to her face and always got what she wanted. I spent 11 months imagining all sorts of elaborate reasons why Emily was superior to me. And then the unthinkable happened, and I ran into real-life Emily on my 22nd birthday. It was past midnight in a crowded two-story bar, and she made eye contact with me across the room before charging toward me like a Trojan horse. The confidence, just like I'd envisioned. It was almost closing time by then, and I gave her my best Lucy Ball face of discomfort, but she charged on. Noticing I was her clear objective, I turned my back, hoping it would deter her from making contact. Not a minute later, I felt a tap on my shoulder. I know this may be awkward, but I'm Emily, Derek's ex-girlfriend. Oh, hell. She was towering over me in her heels and flattering floral print dress. She was an Amazonian goddess with glowing tan skin, just like I anticipated. Suddenly, I was deeply aware of my hatred for the abstract white and black blouse I was wearing. I could feel the acne pulsing on my face. My hips felt as if they were bulging out of my jeans, and I wondered if it was the booze goggles or if she really was as flawless as she seemed. I managed to mutter out a quick hello before Derek jumped in for damage control. Only, I was an insecure drunk girl meeting her boyfriend's ex on her birthday. So as he casually caught up with the Amazonian queen, I slithered into the background and disappeared. I rushed to the bathroom, where I tried to convince myself that everything about me wasn't atrocious. And when I returned, Derek was waiting for me at the bottom of the stairs, ready to rescue me from myself. I played it cool, because remember, that's what I did. On the walk home, I laughed through my discomfort and tried not to make a scene about what had just occurred with the Night Queen. We ended up having sex on someone's car in a small alley about a block from our apartment and declared our drunken, undying love for one another before heading inside to get some sleep. The next morning was Halloween, and as Derek hopped in the shower to get ready for the day, I logged into my Facebook and found a message waiting for me from Emily. She wanted to apologize for ruining my birthday, citing she heard from a mutual friend that I was very upset. She needed me to know that she was a great person who cares about people and that she'd never intentionally hurt someone like that. Then there was some bit about being in a similar circle and not wanting to have any discomfort between us and an offer to get coffee if I wanted to chat. I'd been found out. 
She looked right into my half-open bloodshot eyes and saw right through me. I felt naked on trial as I read her words, as if the car I fucked on the night before was blasting its high beams on me and the alley was a courtroom. Where were you on the night of October 30th, 2009? Is it true that you shrunk into nothingness upon meeting your boyfriend's ex? And is it also accurate that you're aware you'll never be good enough for him? Are you prepared to walk your stubby legs in her giant shadow for the rest of your life? Are you? Answer the question. I sat in bed in the apartment Derek and I shared together with our roommate, laptop and shaky hands in tow. It was time to put on my resourceful motherfucker hat, to fake it till I made it. I knew how to do this. I was good at this facade. I'd been doing it my entire young adult life. The reply needed to sound confident, level-headed, and kind. Maybe sprinkle in a touch of, I don't give a damn for good measure. This is what I managed to reply. Hi, Emily. Note the exclamation point, which is a giant red flag that I was trying too hard to come off like I didn't have a concern in the world about her swooping back in to claim her ex from me. Sorry if I came off as mean last night. I'd been drinking since 7pm and was pretty drunk by the time we went out. LOL. I don't have any thoughts toward the type of person you are. What happened between you and Derek is in the past and is none of my business. I'm sure we'll see one another around. Hell, Derek and I live right by all the bars. And that's totally fine with me. Despite what you may have heard, we had a great night last night, and I hope you did too. Happy Halloween, Andy. I read and reread my words before hitting send. I felt confident and cool and definitely positive that I was the mature, kind one of the two girlfriend gladiators. I'd used my skills to seem like a woman who was chill, fun to hang around, skip the drama and also don't be clingy. Derek and Emily would both be fooled. I'd played my first Halloween trick and I was basking in the satisfaction that I'd pulled it off without a hitch. Only, I still felt her shadow looming over me. Subtle, but there. Refusing to get out of my spotlight. Refusing to let me shine. Tapping me on the shoulder from behind and confidently barging into my life. I know this may be awkward, but I'm Emily, Derek's ex-girlfriend. Awkward? A little. Soul-crushing? Absolutely. Unpacking comparison. Sure, Emily seemed like a literal giant, towering over me with her naturally tan skin and wide, gleaming hazel eyes. And sure, I felt like I was a tiny ant in front of the Statue of Liberty when our paths crossed, and she so confidently raised her torch above me and declared herself known. But in truth, she was never the giant, my giant, that I needed to face. The Statue of Liberty was given as a sign of peace and good fortune. Why, then, was I so overwhelmed by her placid presence? Why did she feel so big and bold and intimidating? It's simple. Emily was a symbol, just like Lady Liberty herself. She was a monument of my insecurities that I needed to brave. When I saw her standing her ground, I admired her. I wanted to be like her. To have this unwavering, untethered belief in me like she did, I didn't know if she approached me to hurt me, to prove to me that she was an adult, 
or because she genuinely just wanted to say hi. But what I took from it all was that this young woman in front of me was fearless, and that terrified me. I wondered if it was because she felt prettier or smarter or more capable than I was. It felt as if she was sending me a message that I was all the lesser for walking in her shadow, and it triggered the very worst parts of me that I'd worked so hard to bury. Emily forced my resourceful motherfucker into a ditch. She slit me wide open with her dagger eyes and shoved the cool chick in me down into a dark, muddy hole filled with worms and roots and rot. Suddenly, I was utterly exposed for the person I really was rather than the person I was pretending to be. And it was mortifying. I grew obsessed with trying to convince myself, and especially Derek, that I was still this level-headed woman. But it was no use. The gig was up and I'd been caught. Found out. My insecurity and jealousy snatched up my body and took hold. They grabbed a shovel and piled pounds of loose dirt over my once cool persona, and when they were done, they left the grave unmarked so that no one would ever stumble upon it again. Not surprisingly, walking around with your skeleton completely exposed is alarming. I was suddenly acutely aware of just how rigid everything was. A breeze blew like a tornado, a ray of sunshine scorched like a third-degree burn. Moving one foot in front of the other felt so tricky without all the muscle, tissue, and blood to cushion the bone. I couldn't find my usual responses to uncomfortable situations anymore because they'd been buried and I was entirely unable to hide. You could spot my fear, insecurity, and shame from across Times Square. I could feel myself drowning in the harsh waters of the Atlantic, treading for dear life in the statue-shaped shadow reflected in the water. But it was like I refused to paddle from the shade and toward the shore. I think Emily became an excuse for me to doubt myself. I used the role she played in Derek's life as justification for my own lack of confidence. One of those, of course I'm insecure. How could I think highly of myself when I have to follow in the footsteps of someone like Emily? Type of things. It was easier to blame Emily than to admit that I simply didn't think I was good enough. The truth was, I would have felt that way whether there was an Emily to follow or not. At the end of the day, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't think I had anything worth offering. I saw myself as this damaged, baggage-filled girl who loved too much, and I was looking for any excuse to look outward for the cause of my probing problems. Comparison is like tree sap, sticking to anything and everything it touches. When we feel uncertain about who we are, we cling to outside sources for approval, validation, and justification. We cannot expect people to tiptoe around our insecurities, especially if we're working overtime to mask them like I was. I allowed my own fears of inadequacy both inside and outside of the bedroom with Derek to fuel a vigorous comparison game that Emily never asked to join. She couldn't help but be exactly who she was, and it wasn't up to her to play small around me so I'd feel more comfortable. It was my job to put the chess piece down and stop trying to prove to an invisible force that I was a formidable opponent in a game nobody was playing but me. In retrospect, when Emily tapped my shoulder and declared herself known, 
she gave me a glorious gift. Shattering my resourceful motherfucker into pieces was exactly what needed to happen for real me to come out. And once I was forced through the threshold, I found not only was I not as terrible as I assumed, I was actually pretty damn great. I'll never have long legs or a natural tan, but I'm fantastic just the way I am. And Derek already knew that. I just needed to catch up to the party. I was comparing myself to the ghost of my boyfriend's past, but all I needed was to look inside and let the real me have her day in the sun. I've come to find it's only when we relieve ourselves of the duties of comparison that we can tap into our own power and let the light within us shine. Comparison clouds our hearts and makes us small, but acceptance for ourselves empowers our souls and breathes life into our hearts so we can then pour out into our relationships. There will always be an Emily. Whether she's an ex-girlfriend of your spouse or someone on social media you can't stop stalking and comparing yourself to, the Emilys of this world will always exist, and most of the time, they'll have no idea what their presence means to you. We're in control of how we allow other people's existence to make us feel about ourselves. And frankly, other people are none of our business. Maybe Emily takes extravagant family vacations across the world. Maybe her house is immaculate, and she looks like something out of Elle magazine on a Tuesday morning grocery run. Perhaps she hangs out with Kevin Bacon on the weekend, and they both discuss how everyone can trace a story back to them thanks to their wide range of work and friendships. Possibly she dines with royalty, farts glitter gel pens, and eats her cereal with gold flakes in it for vitality and healthy gut flora. Maybe she's everything I dreamed up in my mind. Or maybe she's just another normal woman with her own battles of insecurity, self-doubt, and comparison. Whatever the case, it's none of my business, and it has no effect on who I am and whether or not I am worthy of love. Let me repeat and rephrase that for a little extra emphasis. The woman you're comparing yourself to is none of your business and has no effect on who you are and whether or not you're worthy of love. Comparison is poison, but the good news is the antidote already lies within you. So grab the chessboard and toss it out the window. Light it with a match and throw it into the fire. Bury it along with whatever fake version of yourself you're hiding behind. Because at the end of the day, You can't cook, clean, smile, or fuck your way into loving yourself. That has to come from you, by you, for you. And it's nearly impossible when you've got a mask on and an Emily under your scope. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Unpacked podcast. I'm your host, Andy Franklin. And you can find me on Instagram at Andy M. Franklin and at love underscore unpacked. And if you're interested in purchasing the book, it is sold on Amazon, IndieBound, and Barnes & Noble. 